formerly known as Medicine Rich on Twitter. Um, and you are listening to yet another edition of the Medicine Podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. And, you know, I think introductions, we, we can do them rather expeditiously here. So, with no further ado, I'd like to bring on my co-conspirators. Uh, first, Sam, how are you doing this evening? I am doing very well uh, tonight. Uh, just you know, glad to be out of the rain right now, and I'm I'm kind of flabbergasted that it's going to be Mets baseball in a week. It's it, it's just hits you like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, the season's here. It really is. And you know, Mike and I were just talking about how it's that great time of year. We have the NCAA tournament. We have baseball about to start. You've got the winding down of the hockey season and all the excitement about playoffs, positioning, and that kind of thing. So. Mike, Mr. Mike LaCollin from the great borough of Brooklyn. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you, sir, for your introduction. Uh, like you say, and like we said, it's a good time of year. It really is. And we'll have a lot of fun tonight with this edition of the Metzian Podcast. And one of the reasons we'll have that much fun is we have a special guest tonight. We have Helen Wilson from Catching Heat. So Helen has been a Mets fan for as long as she can remember. Despite her best efforts, she does not anticipate changing that anytime soon. I think that's like all of us. She's particularly loyal to defense-first catchers, which means she, uh, she rolls enough to love Jerry Grody. And when Helen is not watching or talking about the Mets, she's probably geeking about theater, baking cookies, or doing both at once on her Broadway Cookies, at Broadway Cookies Instagram account. So, Helen, it is an honor to have you. And why don't you do what you typically do with our guests? Tell people a little bit more about yourself, where they could find you on Twitter and other forms of social media. Welcome, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm really excited to get to talk Mets for a little while. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned Jerry Grody because I've been a Mets fan forever, and Jerry Grody was my dad's favorite player, so I think the whole loving catchers thing is just in my blood. Um but I, I read about catchers, as you mentioned, on Catching Heat. I'm doing that a little bit just as kind of my outlet to get my catcher obsession out there. And so I'm not only talking to my friends and parents about them, give them a little bit of a break. And then my, I'm also just on Twitter at HESILF, just my softball nickname, decided to make it a Twitter handle and that's also my Instagram but I mean I just any chance I get to talk about the Mets is fantastic so thanks again for having me our pleasure Helen and uh, we'll have to have an offline conversation about catchers because Mike and I could probably we're a little bit older than Sam we could probably go down the line and talk Duffy Dyer we could talk uh, Todd Huntley probably go on forever but we have a lot of on our episode of the show. And what I thought we would do is let's start with some off-the-field matters, a couple of off-the-field matters first. And the first one that I'd like to tee up for you all is the news that came out today, that 126th Street in Queens, which is where City Field is, will be renamed Tom Seaver Way or Tom Seaver Drive, but named after Tom Seaver. And then secondly, the address of City Field will be 41. Tom Seaver way or driver, what have you. So clearly some big news there honoring the franchise. And I'm going to wheel this around, and I'm going to pose a couple of questions. A, what do you think of that? And B, 
Do you think that this is reactionary to the unfortunate news that came out a couple of weeks ago? Or do you think um, the timing of it, you know, waters it down a bit? Or are you just happy they finally did something to uh, to honor Tom Seaver? So, Sam, why don't we start with you? What do you think? I mean, you know, we've talked, uh, ver- you know, ad nauseum, excuse me, about how it, it just reminds us of how tone deaf his ownership is, that it it's always seems to be after we we basically shame them into uh, doing the right thing, that they, they get it done. But I, I do like uh, the fact that they they are taking some cues from, from some other franchises and renaming the main City Field address after Seaver. Um, again, I wish they had taken these cues a long time ago, uh, but both uh, I'm, I'm excited about the statue. I'm excited about the, the renaming of, of uh, 126th Street. I think it's the the right thing to do, and, and luckily it doesn't seem like the, uh, the statue is going to be near the food court. So. <laughs> and it won't be out till 2020, by the way, but that's a separate issue. So, Mike, um, you're a big fan of, um, of doing things at the ballpark to acknowledge the greats, and, and what do you think of all this? I like it. Uh, you know, there, there's some leech comments that you can attach to it, like, uh, you know, better late than never. I think Helen was the one who tweeted today that it's been 40-plus years since Tom Seaver last pitched for the Mets, and it's been 25-plus years since his election into the Hall of Fame. So uh, we can say that this is long overdue. Uh, They had another chance in 2009 with the opening of City Field. Uh, we know how they kind of botched that up. But, Rich, we discussed it last week. I'm happy they're doing it. I'm not going to badger them over it. It's getting done. And that is most important. Recognition of Tom Seaver. Hopefully, uh, he will be in a, in, a, in a capacity that he can enjoy this you know, at least this year and perhaps again next year when they unveil the statue. Uh, That's my preoccupation with all this and the timing of it. But, Rich, I I promised last week I'm not going to badger them so long as they get this done. You know, I'll badger them about other statues and other things they, they can do, but they've finally gotten around to reconciling uh, this, this gross detachment of Tom Seaver uh, and his franchise. Good take. Now, Helen, um, I'm assuming you're, a, you know, a, compared to Sam, Mike, and myself, a, a bit on the newer side of being a Mets fan. I, I tell me if that assumption is wrong in terms of chronology, but I'm fascinated to get your take. Um, as someone, if my assumption is correct, that, you know, a little bit newer to Mets fandom, um, what do you think of that? And I'm, I really want to get a young person's take on this, so, so please go with it. Um, well, I did. I was the one who tweeted today that it's been over 25 years since he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and I wish the statue had been there sooner because it it could have been there for literally my entire lifetime, even if they made it after he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, which is how they tend to determine who deserves recognition, even though that is its own problem. But I just... I wish it had been there because as a 
younger Mets fan, I would have loved to have that piece of history and have something where I could go up there with my dad or my mom and they could tell me about watching Tom Seaver and other young fans could learn about the franchise and just the man who kind of built this organization up and was the first kind of shining star here. And instead, like, now I'm old enough to kind of see all of the weird relationships the Mets have with their alums. And I just have to hope that it's not still this way when the players that I grew up watching, the David Wrights, um, are honored and, like, that maybe David Wright will be honored properly. But, like, I wish it had been the statue had been there starting at Shea Stadium for my entire life. It just would have been amazing to have that connection to Mets history. I think you're right. right. So now I'm going to go right back to you, Helen. In your heart of hearts, is all of this that's happening entirely reactionary to the unfortunate news about Seaver's health, or, or do you give the Mets a pass on that and say they might have been planning it otherwise? Um, I think at least the statue is, because if not, I feel like it would have made sense to have it ready for 2019 and the rest of the celebration of the 1969 Mets. But once they realized he just he may not be around for decades, you know, then they realize they have to get something done. And so if that wasn't reactionary, then I feel like it would have been ready for everything that they're celebrating this year. It's hard to disagree with that. I, I, it does certainly smack of that, exactly what you said. And, you know, to Mike's point, you know, what's done is done, and, and the fact they are doing it, Okay, that that's the most important thing. But it, it's sort of interesting. It, it it's sort of um, like you know barstool conversation. And I thought I had to ask the question about if we thought it was reactionary or not. So let's move to something else. Let's move to a, a something a bit more um, interesting, I should say, you know, a bit more uh, ponderous, as Mike likes to say. So the other day, I think it was yesterday, the Mets came out. Mike, I'll go to you first on this one with this idea that if you're a Mets fan, you could do something, they're calling it Netflix pricing, where you pay $39 and you get standing room access to every home game, 81 home games, for $39. You know, and the mathematician in me says that's about 50 cents a game. I mean, that's like, you know, Babe Ruth and the 27 Yankees, right? So, Mike, what do you make of all this? I mean, is it a good thing? Is it insulting to the season ticket holders who paid a lot of money. Granted, we have seats, and, and these folks at the moment would not. But what do you think of it? Do you think it's progressive? Do you think it's regressive? What are your thoughts? That's a great point. Uh, thinking about my answer, I never even took the season ticket holders into consideration. Uh, otherwise, I was going to say this is a great great idea. Uh, you know, welcome to uh, 2019, so to say. Uh you know, I used to be Mr. Walk-Up. You know, I never, outside of the 70s, I used to have season tickets 77 through 82, uh, King of Walk-Up, you know, and I guess in, in a modern sense, this is the next best thing. Uh, fantastic, like you say, you know, sense to the game. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the reaction from season ticket holders, that that's that's interesting. Never considered that for a second while I pondered my answer for you. But, no, I think it's a great idea, you know. Obviously, there's a back deal between the Mets and Netflix. You know, that's how they always 
work these, these things out. But for the fans, outstanding. Outstanding. Not that I use Netflix. I'm a caveman. I'm beyond that. Well, you know, it's something that I thought about because my seats are average. You know, I'm, I'm in the, the over by the um, Foxwoods Club, so, you know, they're not field level. And on average, I would say I'm paying $40 a ticket a game. And now somebody walks into our for 50 cents. And now, grant that person has to stand. I get it. But, all right, so we'll go around. Helen, what, what are your thoughts on it? I love it. I am thinking about doing it myself, and I think it is particularly good for young fans who can't afford a full season ticket package. But for those fans that are coming home for the summer for college, if they just want to go for a couple months and have the Mets always be an option as like their summer evening activity, I think it is brilliant. Fair enough. Sam? I mean... You know, I, I hear where you're coming from with the season ticket holders, but, like, what I love about it is that I generally buy, buy either standing room only or I buy uh, just some random upper deck uh, ticket. And usually it's not a sold-out game, so I'm able to sit in most of the places in the upper deck. Uh, um, and, and so when I think about 50 cents a game standing room only, I mean, that saves me substantially more money to spend at, at the concessions that, that it gives me more money to spend potentially in the, the, uh, uh, t-shirt shops and the, and the, the apparel shops. Um, I, I think it's, it's substantially better for me, uh, because of just my budget, uh, currently, unfortunately, I, I, I can't afford season tickets, uh, no matter how many times the reps keep calling me from a 718 number. And for some reason I never, think to myself, oh, this must be the Mets. I always pick up thinking, is this, could this be just some, some uh, uh, you know, uh, robocall? But, no, it's, it's a live person from the New York Mets. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I didn't realize – I had heard about it, but I didn't realize that they were partnering with Netflix one way or the other. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it's, it's thrilling for me. I, don't, I just don't know when I'm going to be able to even go – enough to make it worth my while for a, a month right now. So I have, to, I have to look into it one way or the other. But, again, considering that I generally roam the, the whole stadium, uh, it, it's, I, really, I really enjoy it. Well, and I, I should qualify what I said before. I have no problem with it. I mean, I, grant, I said the part about the $40, but I think it's a good idea, too. For a reason we talked about in last week's podcast, Baseball needs to continue to attract the younger fan. And if you can get that 20-year-old fan who maybe goes to University of Buffalo and is home in New York City for the summer, as Helen said, and give this person essentially free access to the ballpark and do what you want when you're in there. If you don't want to spend any more money, just stand there and watch a game. That's great. If you want to spend $12 on a, you know, on a Hogarten, go ahead and do that. But um, – it does make the game more accessible, and accessibility is a big part of marketing the brand. So I actually think it's a very good thing. And I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm far too old to stand for three hours, so I'm happy to have my seat. That's my choice. But make it available to younger people who maybe don't have the money. I think it's great. I, I, I'm a fan, actually. So, so moving then, moving on to, um, to some on-the-field matters. So, as we've said a few times on this podcast, uh, the season starts next, next Thursday, a week from today, 
And as my daughter aptly pointed out a little time, a little bit ago, the Mets will have a record a week from today at this very time. So they'll either be one and zero or zero and one, or knowing the Mets, they'll be rained out and still be zero and zero. But, but anyway, um, so there are some on the field matters to talk about, and let's start with let's start with this one: the, the position battle. I, I say battle in air quotes going on right now is first base. You know, Dom Smith has had a representative spring. He's represented himself well. Pete Alonso has had a very good spring. He's hit some prodigious home runs. And so now, and, and Helen, I'm going to go to you first here. Do you see a scenario where they bring both north? And if that's not the case, which one do you think comes north and, and why? Them being the Mets, I, of course, see a scenario bringing them both north. And in that case, I see them, no matter how many times they will deny that they try to do this, putting Dom Smith back in the outfield to get them both in the lineup at the same time. And I mean, I don't think that would be a great idea. I think it might be a little bit better than the last attempt, but I mean, this position battle is especially frustrating because they both deserve the opportunity so much. And I just, this is just like a personal thing, but I tend to like start thinking about the players as people. And so I almost wish they would commit to Alonzo. And even though it would not be a great business decision, trade Dom Smith somewhere he could get regular playing time. And that is just a completely out there scenario. But like, I feel like first base right now has to be Pete Alonzo's position. It has to be his job every day and they just have to let him run with it. And I wish there was room for Dom Smith. I really do. And this spring has just been amazing, and I'm so happy for him, but I just don't see how they can come up, start the season without Pete Alonso at first base. Um, I can't add anything to what you just said. I agree with everything you just said, except one thing. I twitched when you said Dom Smith in the outfield. I convulsed a bit. But, but apart from um, I, I think it's Pete Alonso's job. I think he's earned it. I think Dom has played well, better than we could have expected, um, or at least I could have expected from what I've seen of him. He, he's exceeded my expectations in spring. And I do think it's the right thing to do is trade him. I, I agree. It should be Pete, first base, commit to the guy. Pete Alonso's job for the next 15 years, you know, arbitrarily, which means there's no room for Dom Smith, but there's room for him in the major leagues, get something in return, get a prospect, what have you. But that's the path I'd like to see them take. So, Sam, we'll go to you next on this, and where are you on it? Well, I'm looking at the numbers right now and also looking at a, a horrible rendition of Todd Frazier as a WWE bobblehead day. <laughs> Uh, that's that that will have to loop back around to because that does not look like Todd Frazier whatsoever. But um, I'm looking at I'm looking at these spring numbers and you know they're nine and ten on the ranking right now when it comes to average and Pete Alonso is just a tad ahead with a 352 batting average versus Dom Smith's 349. That's not really where I'm curious about how their numbers split. What I'm really curious about is the power because we're talking first base. And Dom Smith, everybody always said that the power would develop. And, and we, see, we saw some flashes occasionally, but unfortunately 
uh, especially at the major league level, not only has the power not come, but Dom Smith hasn't really come around uh, to be able to, you know, at, at this point, we wouldn't be talking about Peter Alonso had Dominic Smith made his point a long, long time ago. Let's remember that. And so when we're talking about him getting regular playing time, I agree that somewhere, if not with the Mets, he should have regular playing time. I've been excited about Dominic Smith since they drafted him. I thought that this kid was going to be a star, and he may very well still be a star. But when we're looking at the and, – and mind you, we're talking Grapefruit League numbers, and it doesn't necessarily mean a lot, but you're talking about what your eyes have told you. You see it right there with the OPS, and it's directly because of the slugging. Because the on-base percentage is higher for Dominic Smith at 404 versus 386 with Pete Alonso. But then you look at the slugging, and we're talking about 465, which is modest, but Pete Alonso is slugging close to 650 at 648, making his OPS 1.034. And <clears throat> when you're talking first base, the power separates the two considerably. And that's why you have to say it's Pete Alonso's job. Okay, I agree with that, actually, I, as I said before. So, Mike, where do you come down on the Dom-Pete debate? I've been following Pete Alonso since he played with the Brooklyn Cyclones. I got to see him in my own backyard. And if anything else, he's remained consistent throughout, and I do mean throughout, right through his very last at-bat, uh, what, today? Uh, so in that respect, I believe he's ready. Now, if we take emotions out of this, we're only talking about two weeks of time insofar as sending him down to the minor leagues and gaining another year of control over him. That's a cold-hearted decision. That's business. That's baseball. And you know what? I think Branch Rickey would agree. Send him down. Two weeks. That's what we're talking about here. Now, the problem is Brody Van Wagen is in he, he, he's created a pickle for himself. He's in a pickle. Because he says, on the one hand, we're going north with the 25 best. I believe he's running the risk of getting exposed if and when ownership tells him no, sends him down. And then, in turn, BBW is going to have to issue, you know, some some kind of uh, apology. Apology in the sense of, in the sense of, uh, you know, an apologist, I should say. So, I, you know, this is a weird scenario. I say, you know, bring him up. He's my starting first baseman. Fine. Dom Smith needs at-bats. He needs bats at-bats every day. So, if you don't bring them up together and he's not coming off the bench, well, send him to Syracuse and let him start there. You need to showcase him one way or another. Uh, as Helen says, uh, if the plan is to eventually trade him. I just think BBW has created, you know, uh, somewhat of a quagmire for himself in, insofar as what he says and what he preaches. Because ultimately the business side of this is going to catch up and somebody's going to get exposed here. That's my gut feeling. I don't want to start getting into other subjects like, for instance, the contract extensions for several for several pitchers. 
you know, these are business matters that he's not going to be able to, to uh, you know, deflect once opening day arrives. It's been a, a brody winter wonderland. Well, hello, Equinox. Spring is here. And with that comes a thaw. And I, I just, Rich, I have a gut feeling business and ownership is going to catch up to his narrative. And some of this is going to blow up in their face. Well, let me say this. If they start Pete Alonso, even if he goes over the rest of spring, which is what, three or four more games? He's if already they start justified Alonso, his promotion. He's done everything to justify his promotion and coming north with the club. He can't do any more. He can fall off a cliff, as he say, over the next whatever game's left. Right. And if they don't bring him north... Go ahead, I'm sorry. That's why it's going to be interesting to see what they do about, you know, gaining another year of organizational control over him. Which, if we weren't talking about this specific ownership, you know, it, it might be business as usual. For as much as, you know, we're wowed by his minor league numbers, as well we should be, over 30 home runs and 100 RBIs last year split between Binghamton and Las Vegas, you know, that's not to sneeze at. But are they going to let business get in the way? And BBW says, no, we're going to go up with the best 25. But what if it does? What if business does get in the way? This is all hypothetical, but this is what I'm gearing myself up for. Well, you want to talk about egg on the face. I mean, they'd have an omelet on their face if they didn't take Pete Alonso North at this point, given their statements, Brody's statements about the best 25 and the fact that this kid has torn up spring training. Uh, I think they painted themselves in the corner, and they might be kicking themselves for coming out so publicly. But, Mike, if you you end up that you're right and they don't bring them north and the two-week nonsense, uh, I mean, they will have such egg on their face at that point. It it would be a runny omelet, Rich. It would be a very, very runny omelet. And what would everybody say? Right. Everybody would say it's the same old Mets. You have Brody Van Wagenen. You have all this stuff, the good feeling. What did they do? They say they're going to bring the best 25. He's their, other than Cano, their best hitter in spring training. Everybody loves this kid. And you put him down in the minor leagues for one more year of control. They will be roasted by their fans, by the media. Oh, I wasn't even thinking that, Mike. Now you have me doubting it a little bit here. That if they actually <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, brother. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what they're going to do. All right. Well, we'll we'll chalk that one up to, uh, I guess, that decision has to be made probably on Tuesday at the latest. So we'll we'll see where they go. And we'll move to another topic here, and Sam, I'll have you kick it off. Center field. Broxton Lagaris. Last I saw you. I don't have the spring stats in front of me. Last I saw a day or two ago, Lagaris was hitting about 180 in spring training, Broxton about 220. Um, neither one, they're both great defensive outfielders, but neither one is tearing it up. So what do you think they do? I mean, do you think they go with neither one is really the starter? It will go by matchup. You know, if, if one has hit the, that day's pitcher, better go with that guy. Or do you think they're going to, based on the fact that they're equally underperforming, sort of um, bequeath the job to Lagaris because of his tenure. What do you think, Sam? Uh, 
I mean, according to the stats, uh, you know, if if you were going by the stats, Rajai Davis is the starting center fielder with a 310 average. Um, and that's not going to ha- – that's most likely not going to happen. Keon Broxton maybe had a couple hits over the last day because he's gotten his batting average up to 276. I mean, right now, I I guess Juan Lagares has uh, shown some brilliant stretches at the major league level for the New York Mets. Broxton has not as of yet. So I, I think that you you got to play your best center fielder of the day. Um, and let me just double-check as to what uh, Keon bats. He's a righty. So a righty, you're yeah. dealing with two righties. You're not talking about, you're not talking about a platoon here um, in terms of a, a, a righty-lefty split. So, you know, and I, I guess this leads to another topic about the outfielders that they're generally going to go for. But I have to say that they give it to Juan Lagares with the benefit of the doubt that he's just getting his legs under him. Okay. All right. Um, so spring stats aside, the Broxton, it's marginally better, you know, somewhat better. But you're saying Lagares, because of his tenure with the organization, maybe gets the nod as the general starting center fielder subject to change based on maybe a matchup. Yeah, so, Helen. Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, I was just saying, yeah, you know, he's a gold glover uh, and has unfortunately been been paused from getting into any consistent hitting. Uh, the last time he he got injured, he was hitting something like 330, I believe. You know, so I, I think they, I think yeah, they go with with Ligaris here. All right, Helen, where do you think they go center field wise? I've got to agree. I don't think they're going to necessarily have the same center fielder every game. Um, but if there's one who had, gets the few extra games, the extra nod when maybe their numbers aren't that different, it's, I think it'll probably be Ligares just because of their familiarity with him and they kind of have kept him. They've stuck by him so long that I think they'd kind of give up on him completely. But once they decided not to sign a free agent outfielder, I think it was just going to be they'll have some defensive center fielder out there and they won't really have an everyday center fielder, but it'll just be whoever they're feeling comfortable with that day. Okay. Mike. It is what it is, you know, so I really, I I don't have a problem with whatever plan they come up with. Uh, Just go with the flow, Uh, you know, but I'll bring emotions back into this, back into this and say, let's go with Lagarde's. You know, he's the he's the hometown guy. Yeah, and I think sentiment. You know, from what I read Twitter and stuff, I, I think fan sentiment is clearly for Lagares. I think it's probably because it part of its tenure, but part of it is the way he he hurt himself last year, and he was really off to the best. He three thirty one, I believe he was hitting. So Sam, you were spot on, and. Um, and it was like, wow, he finally hit his stride here. He's doing really well. And if you remember, the Mets were getting torched by the Blue Jays. I think it was like 12-1 to 1 at the top of the ninth. And he ran into the wall trying to run a ball down. So you have to give him that much, too. You know, a situation where he was going full on, full bore, and he got hurt in a, in a meaningless situation. So I think there's a lot of sentiment there. Um, and the fact that you know, he's won a gold glove and all. So we'll see how that one plays out. Let's move to catcher. 
So, Mike, I'll start with you on this one. And I learned something yesterday about Devin Mezzarocco's contract, maybe you all saw it as well, that based on the way the Mets signed him, the, the minor league deal they signed him to, as of March 20th or yesterday, if the Mets did not commit to put him on the 25-man roster, they had to make him available to other teams. And if another team was willing to put him on their 25-man roster, they had to let him go. And it was only if teams, no team offered him that could the Mets assign him to the minor leagues. So as far as I know, uh, that has not happened. Mezzarocco has not been offered a, a spot on anybody's 25-man roster. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, as far as I know, that has yet to happen. So where do they go with catcher? Let, let's assume nobody offers Devin a 25-man spot. So now they have a couple options. They could go with Mezzarocco and Ramos. They could go Ramos, TDA. Or they can go with three catchers and limit themselves roster spot-wise. You know, Keith likes the idea of, of three catchers because he says um, your second catcher is almost useless, because, which is probably true, because you can't, um, you have, you're very limited about what you can do there. So he thinks having three catchers gives a little more flexibility. So, Mike, what do you think of this whole situation? What should they do catcher-wise? Nito is also on the 40-man roster. We have to take that into consideration. Uh, true. So, you know, let's bring business back into this. Pretty much done with, with, with uh, Darno. Uh, make an effort to make Mezzarocco your, your backup catcher. Let's go with him. I don't have a problem with the way they structured that deal. That's a fair, that's a fair compromise for everyone, uh, especially Mezzarocco. But let's just bring him into the fold and keep him. Uh, you know, I'm with Helen. I'm a defensive first guy. Uh, I want a, a, a premier receiver, uh, you know, and a tandem of Ramos and Mezzarocco. I'd be very content with that. Me too, me too. And what, what do you do with TDA, Mike? I mean, I just wanted to tease that out a little bit. I'm done with him myself, but what would you do with him? Uh, I believe he still has an op- options left. I think you can bring him, uh, you know, demote him to uh, Syracuse and, and just – let the remainder of his uh, career play out that way. He might wind up on the waiver wire. Uh, ultimately, they just might, you know, part ways. But how long can we keep at this? I, I'm with you. I, I am so over TDA, it's not even funny. So, Sam, what would you do catcher-wise? Well, I think that it sounds like, I mean, the rumors that I'm hearing as of now are that Darno might start on the – uh, here I go. It's my first time I'm going to be saying it. Put a, you know, if I say DL, put a quarter into the bucket. Uh, IL. Darno's going to be starting on the IL. And um, so I, I, I think that considering that he's still only 11 months removed from, from Tommy John surgery, the Mets might have an out here to not have to make decisions right away. You know, that's a good point. I read something today, I think it was, where TDA's only had 13 at-bats or some very low number I wasn't aware of, and and that, that might be an option too. But if that's the case, then I would go ahead and make that decision now, right, and, and tell Mezzarocco he's going to be on the 25-man. So this way at least we know we have Mezzarocco and no other team can take him. I, and I know Nito's there too, but – I think Mazzarocco at this point profiles better as a major league backup than does Nito. Um, so, Helen, this is your thing, catchers, defense, offense. Talk to us. What would you do catcher-wise? I think Darno has to at least 
start the season on the IL. I mean, he could barely throw down to second base right now, and that's not his fault. He's 11 months out of Tommy John surgery, but this isn't an option to catch right now. And there's a reason Jacob DeGrom loved throwing to Devin Mesoraco, and it is something that isn't going to show up in the stats. It isn't going to show up in whatever version of of war you're looking at, whether it's the baseball reference one or the fan graphs one that now has pitch framing. But there's a reason that the best pitcher in the league was throwing to this catcher for most of his starts. And I think the pitchers just love throwing to Devin Mesoraco. So even if he's a backup, he'll still be there to communicate with the pitchers and to help make game plans. And I just think he needs to be on the team. And he needs to be in the clubhouse, and his voice needs to be there. Consensus, I love it. Four Mets fans agreeing on something. I, I think it's great. I, I am so in that camp. Me, Mezzarocco, just at this point in his career, um, you know, when he came up with the Reds, let's remember, he was, he was a star. And he was going to be you know, a really good catcher. He had so many injuries. But he now profiles as the quintessential major league backup. He, you know, he'll do anything. He'll block a ball. The pitchers love him. Um, he's got some power. I mean, he's just, you know, he's what I grew up with as a backup catcher, much more so than TDA. TDA to me just does not profile that way. So I would personally let TDA start in Syracuse or on the IL and look to find him a new home. I, I just think his time in this organization has come and gone. So, all right. Um, Thank you. Move- before, before we finish up with, with Devin Mezzarocco, let's just remember, regardless of, of the fact that he's not a, a crazy, crazy good hitter right now, uh, he's got a lot of power, but like we're talking about behind the dish, I mean, he was a breath of fresh air defensively, you, you know, one way or the other. It, 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 it's just we haven't – we've had some serious issues when it comes to the defense – or at least especially with the arms of, of, of catcher at, at uh, you know, with, with the New York Mets. So I, I, Devin Mezzarocco impressed me regardless of how bad the overall year was. And like we're talking about, the Jacob deGrom factor is a major one right here. Oh, that's a great point that you and Helen both made about deGrom is when the Cy Young Award winner likes throwing to the guy, I think that's about what you need to maintain that guy. So. <laughs> So I'm in complete agreement there. So now let's move to infield depth. Um, so the Mets have a lot of bodies. We could talk both infield and outfield. Let's start with infield. The Mets have a lot of bodies out there, Helen. They have, um, you know, they have the starting infielders. You've got Echeverria. You've got Danny Espinosa, who's had a horrible spring. You've got Gil Yorme, who was horrible when they brought him up last year, although we hit about over 300 in Vegas. So, what do you think depth-wise? I mean, who would you – and we have Lowry, of course, on the DL, on the uh, IL, I'm sorry. Um, so who would you like to see the Mets have as depth for, for the infield? And Dom Smith could be an option, too. I'd love to have Hetcheveria, and I think it would just be such a breath of fresh, fresh air, such a nice change to actually have a backup infielder who can play shortstop we're not stuck with Jose Reyes anymore. We can have a real backup infielder who can play any position. And I think that would just, I keep going back to like defense, which seems to be what the Mets like to focus on, but like just having an actual capable defender out there who can like replace any of the infielders late in the game would 
just be amazing. And I think Hechevarria is the best option for that. Once again, we're in lockstep, Helen. I like it. All right, uh, Sam, infield depth, What do you, who do you like? I mean, you know, like Madeline Albright once upon a time said, I second that. Um, really random 90s reference, by the way, but I, I don't know where that came from. Um, Louis Guillaume, uh, I just don't think as as good of a, a, a bat catcher he is and how good he is defensively, I just don't think he's ever going to hit even on, on a backup basis to be able to justify uh, continuing to, to have him on the roster, uh, you, you know, which, which is, which sucks because I do like him as a ball player in general. I just, I, I think that Adani Echeverria is a fantastic defender who has performed on a relatively consistent basis one way or the other, whether he's starting or whether he's back uh, being a backup. And at this point, I think he profiles as the perfect uh, uh, shortstop backup. Um, so obviously Ahmed Rosario, it's, it's, it's time to, for him to, to blossom, but I think that's, that's who I would go with the backup shortstop. Danny uh, he, he's done the job. He's comfortable with the job of major league backup. Mike, where are you with it? Uh, Helen put it perfectly. Uh, it's unanimous. Can't add much more to that, but what I will start is the conversation about JD Davis, man, you talk about depth. There's your depth. There's where it comes into play. This guy's shining. I like the acquisition. And, you know, Frazier and Jed Larry can take their sweet time coming back. <laughs> J.D. Davis has been good. And I, I should have mentioned him. J.D. Davis has been very good. And he even says he wants to pitch, and he says he can pitch. So he's like your 13th, your, your 13th pitcher, too. Um, but anyway, no, that, you're right. They do have some good options. But I'm a big believer in – Go with the guy who's done the job. Echeverria is a veteran. You know, this is something he can do. Guillaume is a fish out of water in that role. You know, he, he plays every day in AAA, so you're going to have him play once a week, you know, play defensive spell guys. It's just not, not the right thing to do. Go with the guy who's, who's demonstrated he can handle that role. And to me, that's Echeverria. So similar question on the outfield, Michael. Start with you. Um, assuming Broxton and Lagaris both make the team, which I think, although I was convinced the guys would be traded, but okay, probably not going to happen. So you have those two. You have Conforto, you have Nimmo. Assuming they go with five outfielders, which is not a given, because if they go with three catchers and, and Dom Smith and Pete, you know, we're, getting, we're running out of roster spots here, but let's assume they go with five outfielders. Where are you picking from Rajai Davis, Gregor Blanco, um, and some of the other guys they have down there. Where are you going on, on the outfield? I don't know, Rich. I really don't. Uh, you know, uh, I'm perusing through the stats as we speak, and, wow, this is going to go down to the wire. You know, I, I know who's going to most likely start, and I'm comfortable with that, but coming off the bench, man, your guess is as good as mine. That said, I'll pass to the next. Sam, that'll be you. Where are you going for outfield depth? Well, firstly, I just want to reiterate what uh, Mike said about J.D. Davis. I'm actually very curious about this kid, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he can perform at the major league level with a little bit more consistent playing time. Going to the outfield, um, I I have to say that Rajai Davis most likely makes this team one way or the other, especially because he's had a good spring. And we were talking about how underwhelming Lagares has been 
and how Broxton hasn't been all that much more overwhelming comparatively. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, we know Tebow's not going to make make it for outfield depth. Um, and just looking at it, like some of these names, like I've been paying so little attention to these names that without clicking on anything, I don't, I don't even know who B. Lee is. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have to say that, um, I'm I'm kind of at a loss as well, but I you have to say Rajai Davis definitely makes the team one way or the other. I think so too. But Helen, where are you going outfield depth wise? I mean, I basically agree with what actually what else has said, and I think we're going to see some a little bit of everyone out there and. I think we'll see some Jeff McNeil occasionally so he can be in the lineup as much as possible. And I, otherwise I think they're just going to go with a bunch of guys who are really defensively driven, go with Broxton and Lagares and whichever one of them isn't starting will be the depth of that night. And I just, I don't think, I mean, do the Mets ever really have that much outfield depth? It's always like two people get injured and all of a sudden we're they call up someone we've never heard of. And so I just think it's going to be kind of mix and match. I mean, if they put him on the team, he needs to get playing time somehow. But the Mets have just – they have, like, one person at, like, three positions. And then at, like, all the other positions, they just have a surplus of guys and they kind of – who are all kind of playing the same way right now. And they, I mean, I'm glad I'm not the one making these decisions. Yeah, you know, but but you referenced how the Mets have guys, but they guys always get hurt. That doesn't happen to the Mets. I'm not sure what your reference is there. The Mets never have injuries. Yeah, Johannes tested this for the fourth outfielder. Let's let's go with that, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, so, all right, yeah, the outfield thing. Uh, Braxton Lee, by the way. He he was he had a couple of at bats with the Marlins last year. He played actually played against the Mets. I think he had very like maybe seven games. I think I saw in the big league, big leagues last year. Three of them were against the Mets. A speedy outfielder, you know, uh, good defense. Probably not the greatest bat in the world, but he's additional depth. I think they do go with Rajai Davis based on the fact that again, like Echeverria, Davis has done this role. He's been the fifth outfielder, fourth outfielder for other teams, winning teams at that. Um, versatility, he's a defensive-oriented guy. I was surprised to see, or hear, I think it was Howie who was saying it, that at 38 he's still one of the fastest players in, in the major leagues in terms of his speed to uh, speed around the bases when he's clocked, so that's kind of interesting too. And, um, yeah, I think he, you know, he'll bring veteran stability out there and uh, a guy who's okay with it. You know, he knows he's 38, and he knows that being a fifth outfielder is probably his role now. And he's demonstrated a proficiency at it. So I'm completely aligned with Davis being the fifth outfielder. All right, so we're in the home stretch. Just a couple more things to cover off on here. Um, the, first, the next question I'm going to ask, and Sam, I'll start with you. We have a precious few days left in spring training. I believe their last game is Tuesday, so Friday, uh, four more games, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. What question or questions do you want to see the Mets answer in these four days? What's on your mind? What's burning? Definitely the first base issue. You know, Mike's got me a little bit more anxious after, after his (laughs) 
talk. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, Brody's stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place, as they say, with that. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I don't know whether it, it, it's pretty sound right now. I mean, you, you look at everything and, you know, we're talking about them. The, the fact is we're talking about them having some solid major league veterans as, as backup. Uh, Ryan, going to, uh, back to Rajai Davis, I remember when he was on the A's like a long time ago, you know, I wanted the Mets to trade for him. And, and it, 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 it's, it's funny that it comes way back around. Of course, you know, they, they finally get him, but now he's 38 years old. It's, it's very Mets, but at least we're not talking about him being like the, the, the major league outfielder. You know, we have Nemo, we have Michael Conforto and God willing, we might have Johanna Cespedes one day, who is still one of my favorite players, and it's frustrating that he's not continuing to just dominate the game. Um, but I, I, I'm looking at it. It looks like Danny Espinoza is just was pitiful this spring, and he most likely won't really be. He'll be a non-factor completely. Um, I think if, if we're going with pitching, you know, Matt's had a good performance today, but he got shelled by the Nationals. Uh, you know, today was against the Marlins, and he got shelled by the Nationals. Um, I, I think that, you know, in, in the last week, just seeing some consistency with the pitchers, seeing everybody everybody settle in and, and, and have some good tune-ups, if you will, some last-minute tune-ups, that's basically my number one burning question. Burning question is, is just making sure that everybody stays healthy, and and that everybody's geared up because uh, here come the Nationals and, and here comes opening day. Like Michael Conforto said, we're ready to go. He thinks that they have what, what it takes to uh, to compete. He came out with that the other day. So I like it. All right. So, Mike, what are you looking for in the waning days of spring training? Get catcher results. They have other issues, but time is on, you know, the organization side. Uh, not necess- not so much with catcher. Get that resolved. Get that resolved as quick as possible. This way, there's no uh, no chance of Mazarocco getting away. Because that's the pressing issue. We we have Degrom's contract, you know, before opening day. Put that in quotes. This, that, and the other. But again, you know, time is on the Mets' side with those issues. Mazarocco, they need to get straightened out right now. I think you're right, Mike. I I, I could not agree more because. If you know, if we go with the fact that Nito probably isn't ready, um, TDA belongs on the IL to start the season if for no other reason, or in Syracuse because he ha- does, does, doesn't have the at bats. He had you know what ten at bats last year, and he hasn't had many in spring training. So what the hell, man? Why are you exposing Mazzarocco to other teams when you have a qualified major league backup? It is frustrating. And I'd like to see them get that off the table and, and offer him a damn spot in the 25-man. So I am entirely with you. Helen, how about you? What do you want to see figured out in the last couple of days? Definitely catcher. But I think tomorrow that will we'll have a lot clearer of a picture of what that is because tomorrow, I believe, is when we find out whether anyone, I guess, quote-unquote, claimed Mazzarocco and offered a 25-man roster spot to him. I think, I believe I saw somewhere that Friday was the deadline for that. And so I guess tomorrow we'll find out whether 
Mets have to put him on the roster or if they have more flexibility with him. But otherwise, they need to give Jacob DeGrom a contract extension. And especially, just like we were talking about optics before, with if they don't bring Pete Alonzo up after it feels like half a dozen players have signed contract extensions just in the past two days. And if the Mets make it through like the next week without signing Jacob DeGrom to a contract extension, I think just it could be demoralizing for the fan base, just knowing that every other team is out there locking up their players and the Mets continue to just drag their feet. You know, great point. And I was listening to uh, Boomer and Geo, I think it was yesterday, they were saying how the fact that you're not getting a lot of noise about DeGrom out of Port St. Lucie is probably a good sign. It probably means that they've said, look, let's get this off the back pages, let's get this out of the media, let's get this deal done before the end of spring training. So that's the optimist in me, is saying that no news is definitely good news, that they're behind closed doors and they'll have this thing done. But, you know, when you see what's happened, you know, Trout, um, obviously signed a, an incredible deal. And then it was a Bregman signed, I think it was today, an extension with the Astros. You know, you're right. Teams are signing their guys. It seems like they're more focused on that these days than, you know, going to the free agent market. They want to retain their own talent, which is great. And how will the fans react if, if DeGrom leaves Port St. Lucie angry without an extension, especially given the other team signing their, uh, their talent? So, um, great point, Helen. Excellent point. So I want to say well, three more things, two are quick, and then we'll do our last word. So first one is, as we talked about before we went on the air here, the four of us share a common bond. I just want to throw it out there that um, we all at one point wrote for Rising Apple, which is how Sam, Mike, and I met. So um, kudos to the Rising Apple blog. They, they've had a lot of change over the years, but they're still out there, and, and they gave uh, they gave rise to this podcast by putting us together. So just wanted to acknowledge that. And then, Sam, I believe you wanted to pose a question over to Helen about her passions of baseball and Broadway. Why don't you do that? Helen, before you go, I, I was hoping that you could just uh, have a little fun with this. If the Mets were a Broadway musical, which Broadway musical would they be? Oh, man. I was, I was actually, like, kind of thinking about this today, but I couldn't really come up with a musical, but if they were a song, there is a song in Spring Awakening that is just called Totally, I'm not going to go with the actual expletive, but Totally Effed. And it's just about basically everything going wrong and, like, you try to do the right thing and then, but no, just not everything falls apart. And so I don't know if I can say Maybe Avenue Q. I just feel like something where everyone's poor and just depressed. <laughs> and yet Avenue That's Q funny. still has that little tinge of like optimism where like things are only for now. And so, yeah, I think I'll go with Avenue Q. There you go. There you go. For now. Right. Exactly. It's a great musical. It's one of my favorites of all time, Avenue Q. And, and, um, it, but although it, it's funny, you know, uh, having a song like that in a spring in, in, in a musical called Spring Awakening, um, uh, you know, having to do with the Mets. So, so hope, hopefully, 
it's more of a spring awakening as opposed to the song that, that we, we are surmising uh, is, is the New York Mets. So that is, that is uh, I, I appreciate your answer one way or the other for sure. Some great musicals out there. Well, I really like that Avenue Q connection. I haven't thought of it before. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, hey, it's all the entertainment world, right? Whether it's theater, whether it's baseball, movies, whatever it is, and, and relating the two is very cool. So, all right, so Helen, uh, for your in, uh, knowledge of how we do the podcast, well, I think we've covered everything we wanted to cover, and I really appreciate everybody's time this evening. It's been great fun talking Mets baseball. We end our podcast with what we call the last word. It doesn't have to be a single word, but we'll call it the last thought. So I'll go to Sam and Mike first on this and let them come up with their last word, their last thought. So, Sam, here we are. It's March 21st, week away from Mets baseball. What's your last word, last thought for this this episode of the Metsian podcast? We've got a Seaver statue on the way. Hopefully we have a Jacob DeGrom contract extension on the way. Uh, we've got the season on its way, so my last word has to be, let's get it underway. Amen. Mike. Sam. Sam, Sam. I was going to go in a completely different direction, actually. I was going to go off on a little tangent. But, Rich, I'll have to say, well done. Statue. Fever way. Well done. Thank you, Sam. You saved me from something. <laughs> well, Mike, I, 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 I am a savior, apparently. Now, now brushing, brushing, brushing my shoulder off as we speak. <laughs> but Mike, now you've got me wondering what your topic was going to be. I'll give you one last chance on that. Do you want to air it out or no? Reality. Very quickly, reality. And that goes back to what I was saying about BBW. Uh, his winter wonderland is over. Reality sets in in six days and wake up. And he'll either be, well, not him per se, but this whole operation will either be exposed for fraud or BBW has a plan and everybody's all in. That remains to be seen. And I know you've said that the the treatment of Pete Alonso will be a manifestation of whether it's, you know, a fraud or not. Anything else pop to mind that would be indicative of, of that in your mind? How they address DeGrom's contract, how, like you brought up, other teams are locking up their players, their core players. Another player was Severino. He signed with the Yankees despite his injury. Uh, another player that we haven't mentioned, just at the tip of my tongue, but he signed as well. Uh, these are the – this is the new way of thinking, and, you know, these teams are stealing their free agencies away, and, and then agents and players are agreeing to it. Stealing, that's a harsh word. Uh, you know, not quite sure what more you're trying to egg out of me, but – you know, I'm sure BBW's well aware uh, uh, of the environment he's operating in. And that's why push might come to shove where 
his presentation, his narrative, and the way he's been promoting things will ultimately blow up in his face when the guys behind the curtain ultimately make decisions that would speak otherwise. You know, I I think you raise a good point, and I hadn't thought about that. But um, but you're talking about a new era, good feelings, and all of that. You're right. I mean, they have two situations right on their doorstep. You know, how do you handle Pete Alonso? How do you handle Jacob Degrom? That you know will be put your money where your mouth is, both figuratively and literally. So, um, interesting thing to watch. I'm sure those will be topics of discussion. I think we're going to try for a podcast uh, either on opening day or, or that night, where we will have answers to these questions. You know, did they sign Degrom during spring training, and did Pete make the make the roster, and how are they handling that? So, Helen, I think you're getting the feeling of how we do this. What is your last sentiment here? Oh, I'm going to go with another musical reference, but you've just got to look the bright side of life. And, like, in a week, all of these questions will be answered and there will be real baseball back. And just we'll all know Devin Mesoraco is still a Met and we'll just – there will be baseball. That is the greatest thing, no matter – which way these questions are answered. Like the Mets are still going to play baseball in the week and there's nothing better than baseball season. So, I mean, as much as like we can debate these things, either way, the Mets are still around and there's nothing better than that. Nicely said. Yeah. My last word is real. You know, I want, I want it to start getting real. I'm sick of fake baseball. Um, yes, I was looking forward to fake baseball all, all winter, but I've had enough. I want things to get real. I want to see some real answers to these questions we've been talking about. I would say of all the podcasts we've had recently, I haven't seen such profuse agreement as we've had on this one. Everybody seems to agree on everything, which is, which is kind of cool. So thanks for a nice monolithic podcast, everybody. Um, the next time we talk to you, the Mets, uh, as said earlier, we'll probably have a record. Uh, well, hopefully it'll be 1-0. And um, so with that said, Sam, I'm going to ask you, as, as I like to call you the mastermind of the Metsian podcast, what is the only way we can end these things? Sam, why don't you end it for us? Let's go, Mets. Let's go, Mets. Let's go, Mets. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Helen. There's no other way. Good night, Helen. Good night, everybody. Take care. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye now. Good Good night.